Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to just read verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1 again together. Let's just, uh, let's just quiet our hearts in the presence of God's Word. Beginning at verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons, my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The title of the sermon this morning is Come Out From Them and Be Separate. And let's pray together. Fathers, we take this time in Your Word. We ask You to guide us. We ask You to speak to us. Father, we ask You to purify us. Lord, we are a people of unclean lips. We need Your purifying power to cleanse us. Lord, we have been washed in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to wash our feet because we do get dirty and dusty as we walk this earth. And now as we spend this time in Your Word, we pray that You will speak to our hearts a cleansing Word, a purifying Word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 4th century, there was a famous monk. His name was Simeon Stylites. And Simeon, in his pursuit of holiness, erected a pole 60 feet high, climbed the pole, and spent the rest of his life on the top of that pole. I think we may have a picture. Do we have a picture? There he is. And uh, as you can see, they would hoist up to him the food, the water, the necessities that he had need of. He spent 37 years on that pole, never coming down. Now listen, I, I, I kind of admire Simeon Stylites. 11 foot, square foot platform, that's what he was on. 11 square feet. 37 years. Elements, what have you. I kind of admire his dedication. you got to admire a guy that does something like that and sticks to it. But it raises a question for us. Is that what God meant when He said, come out from them? Is that what God means when He says, be separate? <laughs> there. Message over. <laughs> Thank you, Leland. That is excellent. Yes. Before we examine this text for answers to that question, I want us to, to go to people, a group of people who were absolute 
pros at coming out and being separate. They were experts at it. And I want to contrast them and their separateness with somebody who seemed to absolutely get it wrong constantly. And I'm talking, of course, about the Pharisees and Jesus. Did you know that the name Pharisees literally means the separated ones? That's what the, the word Pharisee means, the separated ones. And the Pharisees spent their entire lives separating themselves from anything that would defile them. They were so concerned about accidentally disobeying God's Word that they built fences around God's Word so that they couldn't even get close to disobeying accidentally the Word of God. They were that concerned about separating themselves as a holy people. They wrote 50 volumes of rules and regulations that mapped out how you could avoid disobeying God's Word. So for instance, when the God commands to keep the Sabbath holy and to not work on the Sabbath, what they did was they then mapped out how many paces a person could walk on the Sabbath and not violate the Sabbath. How much weight could you carry on the Sabbath and not be working? What you could, what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Fences to keep separate from even accidental disobedience. They were extremely careful not to get too close to the great unwashed, to the common sinner around them. They not only refused to socialize with sinners, they looked down their noses at them much the way they imagined God looked with contempt upon sinners. They thought if God can't stand to be around them, we can't stand to be around them either. The separated ones. Now when we understand that, we understand the Pharisees' thinking in the story Jesus told as He's there in the, in the temple praying and a sinful guy comes in and is over in the corner. We understand that when the Pharisee begins to thank God that I am not like other people. I am not like adulterers and thieves and all these horrible sinners. I'm not even like that, that lowlife over there. We understand that in the Pharisee's mind, he's connecting with God over their commonality. God is separate. God has no room for these sinners. Neither does He. God, we got something in common. Good talk. Now Jesus, on the other hand, kept messing up this separation thing. He kept messing up not stepping too close to disobeying God's Word. His disciples, they'd go to eat dinner. They wouldn't ceremonially wash their hands. I'm sure they washed their hands, but there's a ceremonial ritual of washing your hands that they didn't do. They got hungry on the Sabbath, and as they walked through a field, they began to pick grains, heads of grain, and they began to eat them. That's work. That's work. You're harvesting. The Pharisees nailed Jesus on that one. He healed people on the Sabbath. They said, "Listen, there's six days a week." You want to get healed, come on those days. 
Monday through Saturday. Actually, it's uh, Sunday through <laughs> Friday. Sabbath was not Sunday for them. Come on those days and be healed. But keep the Sabbath holy. Be separate. But Jesus didn't just heal people on the Sabbath. No, no, no. He actually touched unclean people like the leper. You know what happens according to the law when you touch a person with an unclean skin, a leprosy? You become unclean. So Jesus is violating the Sabbath in their eyes, and He's touching that which is unclean when He touched the leper to heal him. He's messing this whole thing up all over the place. Worst of all, Jesus would actually go and hang out with the great unwashed, with the common sinner, the outcast, the lowlife. He would hang out with them. He would go to their house and He would have dinner with them. Pharisees would not even step inside the door. When they wanted to rebuke them, they'd stand outside and say, why is He eating with sinners? And they came up with a name for Jesus. They called Him with mock, mockery, the friend of sinners. The Pharisees literally perfected separateness. But they failed at being holy. Jesus said that they were like whitewashed sepulchers, painted well on the outside, inside full of rotting, unclean, defiling, dead man's bones. And here's what they couldn't see. When Jesus touched the unclean, that leper, that unclean woman with the blood issuing, it didn't make him unclean. It made them clean. So here's a lesson we can learn. Separate, being separate, coming out from them, being separate, does not mean you're to go home and erect a 60-foot pole in your backyard. It doesn't mean you dig a moat around your house and fill it with alligators to keep people away. This passage doesn't call for that. But this passage does call us to do something. And let's begin to unpack it and see a little bit about what it is telling us to do. Come out and be separate. What does that mean? I'm going to share three thoughts about that from this passage. Coming out and being separate is avoiding or breaking off influences that lead us in ungodly directions. We talked last week about this, but when Paul says don't be yoked together with unbelievers, Paul is not saying we're not to have friends who are unbelievers, we're not to associate with those who are unbelievers, uh, with those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about forming life bonds that harness us together, knit our lives together in deep ways where we live life bound together, we we work together. We labor in one direction. Our lives are, are united in a, a very strong direction. And, and I don't want to oversimplify this. And if you want to unpack this, uh, that particular verse a little more, I would suggest you listen to last week's sermon. But I, I, want, I think one big aspect of being yoked together has to do with influence. And specifically spirit influence 
Jesus connected with some people that were really, were really sinners. They really were. I mean, they, they were adulterers. They were thieves. They were prostitutes. They were IRS agents. You know, they were tax collectors. Uh, so we, we're talking sin. And when they had parties at their house, they would typically have, you know, all kinds of, of sin going on. It's important for us to know that when Jesus hung out with them, he wasn't being influenced by them towards their sin. He was influencing them towards God. When Jesus touched their lives, they weren't drawing him into uncleanness. He was drawing them into cleanness. His influence was towards God. So don't we know that Jesus wasn't hanging out with them in the sense of jumping into sin. He was calling them out of sin. We need to be particularly careful about who influences our lives spiritually. Paul is warning here the Corinthians about false teachers who are leading people away from Christ and towards a false gospel. And I want you to listen to something Jesus says to the Pharisees, about the Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. The separated ones were influencing new converts to be twice the child of hell that the Pharisees were. Being yoked to their influence led people towards hell. And, and that's the wrong influence. So when God says, come out from them and be separate, He's talking about separating from ungodly influences, relationships that are leading us into sin and away from God. That influence can be a religious group. It can be a religious leader that is leading us away. They could be leading us into no compromise, love God with everything, but leading us into legalism or away from Christ, which would be what the Pharisees... Listen, the Pharisees were passionate people. They lived on 60-foot poles. They were that dedicated. But it's not dedication that gets us into heaven. It's Christ. So if there's a religious group, a religious leader, a religious teaching, I don't care how dedicated it makes you feel. I don't care how separated it makes you feel. If it's leading you away from Christ, it is leading you towards hell. It is separating you from God. But it could also be a friendship, a relationship. It can be a place. It can be a habit. It can be an idol that we have. Anything that influences us away from God and towards sin, come out and be separate means avoiding those things and those people that influence us in ungodly ways. Secondly, coming out and being separate rem remembers this. Holiness has two directions. Holiness has two directions. 
God doesn't just say, come out from them. He says, come unto me. Holiness isn't just going out from something. It's going to something. It's going towards God. As Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, which I recommend this book, it's called The Whole in Our Holiness. He writes this, we don't just want holiness. We want the Holy One. To run hard after holiness is another way to run hard after God. And God predicates the call to come out and be separate with this promise in verse 16. I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the verse lying just before come out and be separate. You hear the promise of relationship there? God is not a long-distance God. He promises to live with us, walk among us, be our God, and we will be his people. I love that phrase. It always makes me think of my late grandmother, who used to say, and it would be like this beam on her face as she said it, of Christ. He belongs to me. And I belong to him. Relationship. Relationship. That's what God promises. And then God says, because of that promise, you are my temple, you are my people. Then he says, verse 17, therefore, because of that, come out from them and be separate says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Verse 18, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God deepens that promise of relationship. I just want to encourage us, don't ever settle for cold religion. Don't ever settle for just, yeah, I go to church, I do that, I, I, I read my Bible, I pray, I do all these things, you know. Don't ever settle for cold religion, just going through the motions. God never does. God wants relationship. Jesus didn't come to establish a new religion. He came to establish relationship. And you know what? What I love about it, he came to establish that relationship with the very people the Pharisees looked down their noses at. Those were his friends. Those were the ones who came to him. Those are the ones who became sons and daughters of the living God. I love that. So come out and be separate is a call to God, to know God as our father. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The separated ones, the Pharisees, they never knew the heart of God. They never understood the heart of God. They had no idea who God was. They had no idea what God was like. And Jesus would say to them often, if you knew God, you would love me. Because it's God who sent me. If you had any understanding of his heart, you'd be loving me. Because he loves me and he sent me. This is so important for us to understand. When Jesus loved the outcast, when he loved the sinner, when he loved that lost person, 
He was mirroring the heart of God the Father. That's the heart of God the Father. To love those very same ones. And what this says to me is that as we draw near to God in holiness, we also will mirror that heart to love the lost, to love the outcast, to love the sinner. And we have two reasons for loving them. Number one, because our Father in heaven loves them. Our Savior loves them. That's his heart. And number two, we were them until we you know, we didn't come out. We were called out. You know, the church, the name Ecclesia, it means the called out ones. We were called out by God. We were set apart by God. Separated by God. And the primary work of that separation has nothing to do with anything we do. It's not that, you know, we came out and we erected a pole and we lived on that pole. But we were just walking along, living our lives. God called us out by his mercy, called us to the cross of Christ, called us to believe in Jesus and separated us as holy in his sight because we have the righteousness of Christ. Holiness has two directions. Away from God, ungodly influences and towards God. Our God. The third thing that we see in this is that coming out and being separate is purity motivated by God's promises. It's purity motivated by God's promises. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is a call to action. This, because we have these great promises, once again, Paul puts in, therefore, because we have all these awesome promises about relationship with God, because of that, let us, do something. It's a call to action. This is the imperative. This is the command. Do something. What? Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. There are things in this world there are people in this world who contaminate our souls. And we are to cleanse that stuff out of our lives. Sometimes the things that contaminate our lives, they're just contaminating. It doesn't matter how much or how little you get, it's contaminating. A little bit of pornography is, is contaminating. A little bit of gossip will poison your soul. So it doesn't, it's not a matter of quantity. But there are things that have to do, I think, that contaminate our souls with quantity. Like a little bit is fine, but we can get too hooked on it. We can get it, to, it becomes too much. And a good thing becomes an idol in our hearts, and it contaminates our souls. It may not be wrong, but the amount of hold it has over our lives may be wrong. 
personally, I had to take a break from the news and social uh, and political messages and the issues. I had to take a break from it. I still listen to the news a little bit, but a little bit goes a long way. More often than not, when I'm getting ready for the day, I'm putting Shane and Shane on and listening to their music, worshiping God. And it's so much better for my soul. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with the news, there's nothing wrong with politics, there's nothing wrong with social, following social trends, all that sort of thing, social issues. It's nothing wrong with it until it gets too great a hold on our souls. When it becomes what we think about, what, we're, what impassions us, what, what fills us, what we, what we start the day with and we end the day with, then it's diverting us from focusing on Christ. I want to share one more warning as we wrap up, and that is we need to be careful not to become legalists. Legalists focus on the externals. It's all about what we do externally. And that's what the Pharisees did. They were whitewashed. They really were whitewashed. They really did look white and clean on the outside. They were good at the externals. And the legalist in, in us tends to Think coming out and being separate, we think in terms of externals. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. You know, we, we have these, these externals. And they can look different from church to church, from Christian to Christian. But we focus on the externals. There was a guy uh, I remember listening to when I was uh, teenager, I was a Christian, and uh, this guy named Bill Gothard would teach that any music with a drum beat in it was of Satan. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> Sorry, Chip. I, all our drummers are getting up and leaving. They're like, I'm out of here. His teachings, so many other teachings, focused on externals. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Separate, come out from among them. Separate, external, external. You know what? It's, it's easier to build a 60-foot pole of legalistic taboos and then avoid those taboos than it is to come out and be separate in our heart. Because you know where the contamination is in our hearts? It's probably not the music we're listening to. I mean, it could be. But more importantly, it's what's going on in our hearts. Is there full, are we full of pride? Are we full of self-righteousness? Are we full of selfishness? Anger, unrighteous anger, fear of what people think to an ungodly degree, manipulating, lying, idolatry. These are all things that go on in the heart. And here's the thing, you can dress up and you can put a smile on and you can go to church and nobody knows it's in your heart. 
You can be totally respectable, totally like, what? What a great, strong person. And all this garbage can be in the heart. And God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the externals. So as armed with these awesome promises of a close relationship with God through Christ, And we didn't get that relationship because of something we do. But because we have this relationship, Paul says, now we need to do something. Purify ourselves. Purify ourselves out of holiness and reverence for God. And... We can't purify ourselves apart from the Holy Spirit's work in us. We can't. We cannot purify ourselves apart from the Holy Spirit working in us, His power in us. But He won't purify us apart from our efforts. This is a command. Paul's saying something more than just believe this and let God do it. He's saying, you do it. You do it. You purify. You get rid of that stuff. God will empower you to do it. But you do it. See, Christ in dying for us, He called us out. He set us apart. He sanctified us. In one way, sanctification means we have been absolutely perfected in the eyes of God because of Christ. That's happened immediately. You are the righteousness of Christ in the sight of God, right away. Then the Holy Spirit says, now come on, we got some work to do. To take your life, your experience, your reality, how you walk this thing out, and begin to sanctify you in that. And that part takes effort. The first part doesn't. Christ did it all. We just believe in Him. This part is a day-to-day effort to do something. You see impurity in your life. You see something contaminating you. Don't say, God, you do it, and I'll be here when you do it. You say, God, I'm going to do it. You help me do it. To paraphrase John Piper, don't wait for the miracle of purifying to be worked on you. Act on the miracle. The miracle has already taken place. The miracle has already happened. You have been regenerated. You have been made alive in Christ. You have been given the Holy Spirit To empower you. The power of sin has been broken in your life. The miracle has already happened. Now act on that miracle. In that book, The Whole of Holiness, one of the things he says, which we don't like to talk about, is one of the main problems that Christians don't move forward is laziness. We just don't want to do it. And no, that's not legalism. It's not legalism to say, go do something. It's legalism to say, go do something in order to earn God's acceptance. But having God's acceptance, having these awesome, that's what Paul says. Therefore, because of these great promises, we got the promises. We got the promises. He is our father. We are his son. We are his daughter. Because of that, now can purify yourself from everything that contaminates. Act on it. What I want to do in our closing moments this morning is to spend a moment 
in quiet and ask the Holy Spirit to shine his good light upon our hearts and our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us, see if there be any wickedness in us, any uncleanness. I'm so grateful God does that one at a time, aren't you? I mean, if he were to show us everything, we'd be so condemned. But I'm also grateful that he does show us, he does convict us, he does begin to speak to us. As he brings something to mind, let's obey his prompting. Let's act on his conviction. Don't wait for the miracle of sanctification to take place on you. Act on the miracle God has already performed in you. So let's take a few moments in quiet. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will search our hearts right now, that you will show us, convict us, where there may be contaminating influences in our lives. Let's take a moment. Father, thank you for the precious Holy Spirit who shines upon our hearts, who reveals to us Christ, who reveals to us the gospel, and then begins to work on us. Father, whatever you have spoken to our hearts. Whatever area we may be convicted of, it could be a, a, a gross sin. We're just, we know it's sin. We know it's wrong. We know it's hurting our souls. I pray that any who have that will confess that openly to you. We'll ask you for the power of your spirit to help free them, and then we'll act upon that. For others, maybe something came to mind that is not necessarily in and of itself wrong, but it's doing harm to their soul. Maybe because of the grip it's got on them. I pray, Lord, that you will help empower their commitment to purify themselves of that thing. Lord, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit resident within us. We're not going this alone. But we also thank you that when it comes to our sanctification, our being set apart, we have a role in that. We have a role in that. We have to make effort. Help us to make the effort. 
Help us to trust in you for the power. Help us to act on the miracle you have already performed in us. And all for this reason, Lord, so that we might draw closer to you, love you more, know you better, fellowship with you deeper, and so that our lives might more purely glorify Jesus Christ and represent him to a world that needs him so very much. So as we leave here, we leave here again as ambassadors of Christ. And as we purify our lives of those things that hurt and contaminate, we become more, more accurate ambassadors for Christ. Help us to do that for the glory of your precious name. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If the Lord spoke specifically to your heart, I want to just, you know, there's nothing more fleeting, someone said, than conviction. If the Lord's convicting your heart of something. That conviction itself is excellent. It's a gift of God, but don't think it's enough. Put a flag, put a, put a, a stake a flag in there. I, I'm resolved to make a change here. And then ask God and get serious about that. And you'll be amazed at what God does through that. So go trusting God and believing God and acting on the miracle that God has done in your life. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day, a good week off for the kids. God bless.